Welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-founder, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast, The Kevin and Fred Show, where once a week we bring to you a expert interview every single Monday. We interview one of the brightest and best in the world, usually in, in the real estate space, sometimes in technology, sometimes in entrepreneurship, sometimes just in forward thinking. The things that are going to help us learn to move forward are the things that we're interested in bringing to you on this podcast. So we don't keep it limited to just real estate agents. And I think you'll find that really valuable if you've been listening or if you're a new listener, all in the same. We also bring you once a week something we call industry headlines, which is a look at what is going on in the real estate world, what's happening in the mortgage space, what's happening in the technology space, bring that to you in a short form. 10, 15 minute podcast at the most once a week on Wednesdays. We're also a proud member of the industry syndicate family of real estate and mortgage podcasts. Check out that app in the app store. Again, that's industry syndicate. And if you would, please do us a favor, please, please, please leave us a review, download, subscribe, share an episode with a friend. We would love it. There is no better way to say thank you, except for maybe a real estate referral, because we are, after all, real estate agents, and we love real estate referrals. We're based in the Phoenix area and would love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in to The Kevin and Fred Show. Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you could send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission. We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com slash referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Kevin Kaufman. Welcome back to another episode of the Kevin and Fred Show. This is a very special episode. In fact, it's one of four parts. Adam and I had this really crazy long and in-depth conversation. And um, the first part is we're, we're just breaking this out into four parts, right? We're going to talk about what is going on in the world today, all of the different things um, that are happening and how it's actually totally understandable. We get into how not to be stupid, which uh, side note is the name of one of his books that is coming out uh, hopefully soon, how to stay out of the stupid zone, how we're basically all prone to it. And then in the last uh, section or the last part of this interview, we actually get into investing and global equities and securities. Uh, and the thing is, Adam knows the stuff. I mean, he's literally friends with people like Warren Buffett. As I mentioned, he advises the head of hedge funds. Um, the guy knows the stuff. He sees the world through a different lens than most everybody else. And I personally, I'm so thankful to have had the chance to sit down and talk with him um, for about four hours. So that's why we broke this out into many different episodes. So I hope you enjoy it. I know I got a lot, a lot out of it. Without further ado, I'll stop and present to you, Mr. Adam Robinson. Adam, can we talk about the things that are opportunities in, from a, an investment standpoint? I guess really what I'm, I'm asking is around markets and what is going on in the economy. Like you're obviously, you understand the global economy better than anybody I know. Um, and so I know that there are opportunities. It's not all bad. Um, there are things that we can do. When I ask you that question, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I mean, there are many things that come to mind. I'm going to parse that. So, 
you know, we, we've spoken at length about, about we're, we're, we're in a demographic collapse, which is spilling over into an economic and financial collapse. And, and again, people have a hard time calibrating around that until you think about factoids like the one I mentioned last year, 48% of American adults had no money in the bank. And you think about that, go, wow, I thought the economy was doing pretty well. But no, that's not a good economy. <laughs> and and uh, so, so it was, we were in a perilous state. And it's one of those things, and, and we've all been in, Kevin, I've been in this situation before, you've been in this situation before, where like, well, we're okay as long as nothing goes wrong. But like, you know, like in, could even be in college on a test. Like I'm okay just so long as they don't hit me with any surprise questions or something. Or as long as, long as things, I'm not blindsided by anything. Like, but we realize that we're, we're you know, skating on thin ice. And uh, so, um, so we're, the demographic collapse is leading into a financial collapse. And, and um, with all kinds of social and other implications. And so the market, when people talk about the stock market, you always have to think clearly. And, and I'm going to invite your listeners, you know, people say, are stocks going higher or lower? Well, that's like saying, is the US economy as a, going higher or lower? Well, depends on what parts of the economy you're talking about and which constituents of that economy, right? So there's certain, think of everything as being bifurcated, winners and losers. And the way to think about the world right now is that in a deflationary world, in a low to no growth world, and I've been using that phrase for years now, it's, it's now contracting. It's not even low growth, it's, it's, it's negative. <laughs> and, um, but in such a world, um, capital flows to the winners, right? And when times get difficult, those who are, have an advantage, the advantage is amplified, right? Um, if, if I held an Olympic event, a five-yard dash, as in the number five, new Olympic event, five-yard dash. I might be able to compete in that one. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so easy that like Usain Bolt might not, like might finish, you know, not even in the top hundred. Actually, he doesn't have the best start. Uh, anyway. Um, so when things are very easy, when times are easy, advantages, you know, the winners, those who have an edge, um, have an edge, but it's not a pronounced edge. But when things get tough, the edge gets um, more and more pronounced. And so we're in a world where capital is flowing. This is true for businesses, and it's true in the, in, in the stock market, it's flowing to the winners. It's a winner-take-all uh, world. And, and I say that because, 
So for example, uh, there are two kinds of stocks. Um, there are many kinds of stocks, but one, one dichotomy, one bifurcation is growth stocks versus value, right? Companies that are growing very rapidly versus value stocks, stocks that they're good businesses, uh, maybe they're not quite going as fast as growth stocks. They're good businesses and, um, and they're undervalued. And what's going on in the world is that capital keeps flowing into the growth stocks and the undervalued stocks keep getting more and more undervalued. <laughs> and the value investors go, uh, it's not making any sense to me. I don't get it. These are good value stocks and look at the multiples on, on these growth stocks. It's crazy. And yet capital keeps flowing there because it's an inevitable consequence of the world we're in. In a low to no growth world, if you're growing, you're going to do really well, which is, by the way, why um, Silicon Valley got smacked hard the last hmm, four or five years, the tech IPOs did very badly. There were some that did well, a few, if they were on the right side of growth. <laughs> All the other tech companies, you know, just because you were a tech company, this wasn't like the 90s where tech company and, you know, your stock doubled, you know, a week after the IPO. Now it's been sold down. IPOs have been underperforming in the tech and because um, they, a lot of the tech IPOs, like WeWork, weren't earning any money. In fact, it wasn't clear how they would ever earn money. And so, so again, in a low to no growth world, capital will flow to the winners and don't fight that. As a stock investor, this is, there all kinds of dichotomies, but this is what's known as the momentum market. The winners keep winning and the losers keep losing. And there are these periodic uh, um, corrections, you know, for two, three, four months, maybe even six months, where, where the, the leadership of the growth stocks pauses and the value stocks begin to outperform and all the the value investors go, see, I, was, I told you, value stocks are undervalued. This is their, their moment. And then, you know, after a month or two of that, it goes right back to the growth stocks powering ahead. And the, the concentration of capital in the top five stocks, I forget what they are right now. It's Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. Apple. Apple, yeah, 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 um, is way higher than it was during the, the, the internet bubble. Now, the difference is in the internet bubble, a lot of those inflated tech stocks weren't earning any money. Now they are. And, and if you think about it, in a low to no growth world with low interest rate rates, um, banks are gonna underperform because banks make their money on the interest rate spread. They don't like low interest rates. <laughs> um, and especially when people aren't borrowing too much. And so bank stocks have been hit 
and energy and material companies have been hit. And, um, and, and really the, the only sectors, tech and some consumer discretionary were outperforming. Then COVID hit, right? And so it changed it only a little bit. Now, in COVID, again, it's best, even investors, even if you're only investing in real estate in your, your neighborhood, you know, and commercial real estate in downtown Phoenix, you know, where you are, or whatever it is, you know, uh, apartment buildings in, in you know, um, I don't know, Detroit whatever your investment is, or you're investing in stocks, it's good to have an overview from 100,000 feet. You get a general picture of what's going on. And if anything doesn't make sense within that picture, that's always a huge opportunity. Don't ever fight that. And again, you yourself, we talked about this earlier, you yourself, I don't mean you, Kevin, but the individual, you know, the listeners. <laughs> so I'll talk about me, Adam, you know, I'll, I'll go, huh, that's odd. And, and, and I've trained myself over the years. That's like, oh, good. It's odd. It's an anomaly. There's Let opportunity, opportunity yeah. here. Something really powerful is going on. And, but I also, when I hear other people say it, they'll go, huh, that's odd. And whenever they don't always use those words, especially experts won't use that word, those words. They'll use phrases like this. After all, how much lower can interest rates go? Something like that. They're, they're in denial. And, and so, so when things don't make sense, people often go, that's crazy. But, and then they like dismiss it. But don't. That's where the gold is. Right? I'm making up, you know, um, oh, I, I've talked about this example before. Um, Sam Zell mentioned it to me. I was, uh, he and I were on stage once uh, in Chicago talking and, and uh, about things that don't make sense. And, and, uh, and he said, yeah, you do the same thing, right? The legendary real estate, Sam Zell, right? Yeah. Years, right. And he was talking about how, uh, I said, could you give, uh, could you give us all an example, Sam of, uh, Something didn't make sense to you. He said, yeah. Um, so one day I'm reading the newspaper and I read about Starbucks opening up a, a store in Mongolia. And I went, what? Mongolia? I thought they just ate yak butter and, you know, had like beautiful colored mm, clothing and, and, and we're one with nature. And anyway, he said, yeah, I know. I'm reading a paper in Chicago and I'm thinking, what the heck is Starbucks open up in Mongolia? But it made no sense, right? Be like a Hooters opening up. I, I shouldn't even have said that because it's probably politically incorrect, but it's, it'd be as, about as weird, right? Yeah, it would be off base. You would go, why? Exactly. And, and people go, oh, that's strange. But no, he was so fascinated by that because that's the kind of investor that he is, that he went to Mongolia. He wanted to see with his own eyes. 
Sure, he could have called up any number of consulting firms. Hey, what's going on in Mongolia? But no, he wanted to see it with his own eyes. And, and he discovered there were mining operations going on there. And it was the start of the big infrastructure building boom in China in the early 2000s, where the big mega, where they were building like crazy. And that bubble didn't pop for like till hmm, September. I think it was late 2010 when China published its, I think it was September 2010. Every five years, China publishes a five-year plan. And, uh, and they said, oh, we're not going to be doing as much infrastructure building now. But anyway, he got in on it early because it didn't make any sense. And, and you know, an algorithm that Sam Zell uses very well, he looks for things that don't make sense. And also, one of the, I know one of the things he looks for is legislative changes. Because whenever there's a new law introduced, there are all kinds of things that people hadn't considered that are now possible or not possible. I'll give you an example of that, just, just to be far ranging about this. Um, don't try to game this, just off the top of your head, when did infomercials begin? 81. Yeah, you'd think that, right? Yeah, actually, they were around in the 50s. And in the 50s, they were even longer. They were called like the Betty Crocker hour. And they'd have a whole hour where Betty Crocker or whatever, the comp, you know, it'd be one long infomercial on network TV. And the FCC passed a law uh, uh, and said, um, these are public airwaves. You can't do that. Commercials have to be limited to one, I think it was like one minute. And then all of a sudden, in the mid to late 70s, um, cable TV came along. And some people went, oh, wait, that's not public airwaves anymore. Let's go back to those infomercials. So in fact, infomercials, <laughs> there's a totally new opportunity that people had forgotten about because of a, the law only applied to public airwaves. And with the new technology, so same thing with legislative changes and technology changes, all of a sudden things become possible that weren't possible before. And there are tons of other opportunities outside of that. You know, I'll give you an example of things that, like everyone gets distracted by, you know, they look, where they think the opportunity is, and the opportunity is often somewhere far afield. In the 50s, the Eisenhower administration passed a law requiring farms to have one third of their farmland fallow. They couldn't, you, if, you had, if you had 300 acres of farmland, you, you couldn't farm 100 of those acres. And when I first read that, my initial, my knee-jerk analysis was, oh, they're trying to raise uh, agriculture prices, right? Reduce the supply of, you know, corn, whatever, wheat. 
But that wasn't actually the agenda. The agenda was if a third of the farmland um, was fallow, that meant a third of workers on farms had to go find work. Where did they have to go? To cities. So all of a sudden cities were flooded with a cheap supply of labor. So you think the opportunity is over in the farmland, like something's going on over here, when the real play is over over here. And it's like a sleight of hand. It's like like a magician. Like if, when they want you looking over here, it's because they're doing the thing over here. Right. And, and right. And by the way, sometimes it's even not like you know malevolent. You know, they got some ulterior. But that was the result. The cities were flooded with 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 uh, with uh, cheap labor. So think about all the opportunities that would lead to, right? Um, real estate in urban areas, gonna go up in value, like all these things, right? And so I say all that because, you know, if one is gonna be an investor, then you need an edge, right? Sir John Templeton, the legendary investor said, if you wanna outperform the market, you have to do things differently. And it's, uh, I, I said this on Tim's show, uh, it's a gladiatorial pit, you know? And it's amazing to me how many people will just go, yeah, I'm gonna day trade stocks. Oh yeah, that's like someone who's never fought before going, I think I'm gonna go into mixed martial arts. What, you're gonna get crushed. Their job, the people who've been doing it for years is to take your money. That's their job and they're gonna do it unless you have an edge. So it's really important, you know, Buffett and Munger have talked a lot about having a circle of competence, knowing what you do well. Stick to what you do well and don't leave that circle of competence. You know, Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, Baseball was outside his circle of competence. Remember when he <laughs> oh yeah, right quit to take a baseball, and um, so anyway, I mean that was a short-lived experiment. And so you want to find out what your circle of competence is, and and the opportunities are often not where you think, right? If there's something going on, if some big change again, Sam Zell's algorithm is to focus on legislative changes because he knows and things that don't make sense. For me, my whole life, I've worked on things that don't make sense, right? My, I'm not gonna get into it today with you, but you know, how, how I came up with my insights around the Princeton Review and taking standardized tests, something didn't make any sense to me. And in figuring out the answer to that, instead of going, that's odd, I, I thought, oh, I've got to th think about this. You get real insights that no one else has had before. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, I, I forget, did I mention Aristotle Onassis? Uh, he said this at one point, the richest man in the world, right? And, and he said, um, the secret to business is knowing something that other people don't. And it's, it's just a simple idea. It's amazing how many great fortunes are started by someone who just had a simple insight that other people didn't quite have yet. 
And, and, and I, you know that my, my favorite quote is uh, Charlie Munger's. I was going to ask um, you about that. Right? You know that's my favorite quote. Um, is take a simple idea and take it seriously. And we never do that. Right? In life, we, people overcomplicate things. And the greats at anything take a simple idea. Think Domino's Pizza. Getting it to you in 30 minutes or it's on us. Not even good pizza. Well, I don't want to say that. It's fine. But they're, they know they're not gourmet pizza. Right. But they also know that when someone wants pizza, they don't want gourmet pizza. <laughs> they want it now. <laughs> right? And, uh, and so, it, and that's true whether it's real estate or anything else. It's take a simple idea and take it seriously. Really explore it because most people don't. They overcomplicate things. And um, so, so, yeah. So I've heard you say, um, or I should say, I wrote down what I think I heard you say. Something to the effect of having simplicity on the far side of complexity. Yeah. So that's Oliver Wendell Holmes, the great jurist. And he said, um, he said, I wouldn't give 25 cents for the simplicity on this side of complexity. But I'd give anything for the simplicity on the far side. And by that he meant a beginner um, who's learning something, subject seems kind of simple. The expert knows it's not. It's a lot more complicated than that. But the genius knows, in fact, it is simple. It's the simplicity on the far side, but you have to go through. It takes, when you look at uh, like Bobby Fischer's chess style, is was so simple. And, and um, you know, really, the, the greats at anything, they, again, the sim- take a simple idea and take it seriously, which is to say, get to the far side. You got to get to the far side. And, you know, I... I, I, I can't remember whether we talked about Malcolm Gladwell, who I think is brilliant, brilliant thinker, um, very, very clever and entertaining, really brilliant. And yet, he's, he studies subjects the way a brilliant grad student does, like he crams for a couple of weeks and writes an article. And he doesn't get to the far side. He doesn't. He's brilliant. Brilliant, not taking anything away from him, but he doesn't get to the far side. And it, you know, I, I, um, Picasso said that. Picasso said, you know, as anyone can paint as a genius when they're a child, the secret is to be able to do so as an adult. And I, I remember dismissing Picasso's work because I knew zip all about painting. I'm a Philistine, I, I didn't know anything about painting. And, um, and I, you know, I looked at his paintings and I'd say, ah, you know, okay, that's nice, but I don't, I, I don't get what the big deal is. And you don't get what the big deal is until you see what he was painting at 15. 
And you, at 15, you could paint like Rembrandt at 15. So when you see the paintings that he did at 15, you go, oh, those simple looking paintings he did later, that wasn't because that was all he could do. It's because what he chose to do. And, and really, especially in this world, you know, I'm, I'm saying this to, to, to Kevin, to, to you, to, to all the listeners, and, and I say it to myself, it's so important to latch on to a couple of simple ideas. In the same way I know we talked about earlier, um, what's important. You know, bring your, your, your dear hearts, those closest to you, bring them closer. Think about what's important, a value. Really focus on that and look for, um, um, again, if you're going to invest, remember you've got to have an edge. <laughs> and it's usually something really simple. Um, like Bruce Lee's edge was speed. Um, there's a great documentary. It's called Search for Greatness. And it... Uh, the filmmaker followed uh, or explored the careers of uh, Wayne Gretzky, Jerry Rice, um, Michael Jordan, had Serena Williams in there, you know, a few others, like the greats, right? And like the greatest of all time, those those people respectively in their in their domains, and. What's clear about all of them is uh, none of them was particularly talented. They weren't. They had some talent, but not much. And really, it was overcoming a disadvantage they had that led to their greatness. I'm segueing from Bruce Lee to, to, uh, to, to that movie, because we were talking about conversational parkour, and here I am leaping off. Love and, it. And, and um, I'm going to come back to Bruce Lee in a second. And, you know, like Wayne Gretzky, he was uh, the weakest man on the Edmonton Oilers, the weakest guy on his team. Like bench press, he was like, you're laughing at him. And he was relatively tiny by uh, NHL standards, you know, weight-wise and, you know, mass-wise. And he knew his career was not going to last too long if he took the physical beating that most of the players took. He figured out my career is going to be over in a, a year or two. So he developed a style of play solely around not getting hit. And like his, like, so he spent a lot of time behind the, right, the, the goal, like, because I don't want to get hit. <laughs> and and, and uh, by the way, Muhammad Ali used the same thing. I'm going to give you Muhammad Ali's algorithm for becoming uh, the world's greatest boxer. I'm going to give it to you in one rule. And then I'm going to get to Warren Buffett's investing rule. Yes. So here's, here's, now Muhammad Ali never stated this. You know, greatest boxer of all time. Even Mike Tyson said that. Well, Mike Tyson said Ali is a boxer. Uh, Bruce Lee is a, is a martial artist. And um, so uh, here's Muhammad Ali's posthumous algorithm for becoming the world boxing champ. Don't get hit in the face. Because 
if they can't hit you in the face, they can't knock you out. And if they can't knock you out, they're going to get real tired trying to. And then you're going to just knock them out. And basically how he won a lot of fights. Yeah. And now Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee's disadvantage uh, was uh, he only weighed, I think he maxed out at 135. Wow, I did not know that. Oh, he was teeny. I think he was 5'7". Solid muscle when you look at him, right? Oh, yeah. He could do, wait, what was it? 200 uh, doing push-ups um, on, um, on two fingers on each hand, like this, 200 push-ups like that. And um, when you watch videos of him, they said he had the punching power of Muhammad Ali. Now, Muhammad Ali weighed like 230, Bruce Lee 130. So if you're really tiny and going up against bigger opponents, they're going to be strong. I don't care how strong you are, they're stronger because they're just bigger. Yeah. So, I mean, he was as strong as you could get for 5'7", 130. But his edge was speed because power <laughs> is, uh, is um, uh, it's, uh, the amount of work you can do in, um, um, in the time you do it. And the faster you are, <laughs> someone could be twice as strong as him, but he was five times faster. Wait, you have to see videos. I say five times. If you watch videos of him, you know, like from the 60s, they slow it down like frame by frame and you still can't follow his, his punch. And they'd have world champs in various other martial arts going up against him in a, like sparring exhibition things. And they'd say, okay, show me what you can do, Bruce. And before they could even move, he'd already tag them like you really can't you can't, can't believe it's that you, you just you can't believe how fast it is speaking of which it's amazing okay don't try to game this um okay a pit crew okay a formula one race think about a pit crew a, a car comes in now it's not a fixed place every time it comes in like it comes in they got to, all the, the, the pit crew, they got to come over and go, bzz, 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 right? With the, with the, the, the pneumatic uh, or the, the air, um, um, much of my jiggies. Um, they take off the bolts. Then they got those, they got to take those huge tires off. Oh, wait, I forgot. Car pulls in. They got to jack it up. Yeah. That means they got to put the jacks under it. They got to jack it up I got zzz, 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 on four tires. Got to take those big things off. Other guys got to come over, put them on. Then, zzz, 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 and then lower the car. That's a lot of steps, a lot of complicated steps. Do you know what the world record is for that? That whole process that I just told you. Six seconds? Yeah, you would think something like that. 1.83 seconds. And you, that's faster than you can tie your shoe. You can't tie your shoe. In, and when you watch it, it seems like, like a magician act in Vegas. You go, wait, wait, wait. 
you, you blink and it's over. You actually can't believe what world-class performance is when, until you see it. It's it just a whole nother world. And I say that, I'm gonna come back to needing an edge and investing, especially like in the stock market, that kind of thing. If you don't have an edge, you're gonna lose your money to people who do. There's that great Buffett quote, if you're in a poker game for 30 minutes, right? <laughs> and you don't know who the patsy is, you're the patsy. Yep. Right? And, 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 and really one of the, again, Munger, take a simple idea and take it seriously. And really Buffett's, Buffett's advice in investing, and I'm gonna to get to it in two seconds, is as simple as the advice in um, of uh, like you look at Sam Zell and what he's done. I'm sure you take a look at every one of the investments that that genius investor has done real estate over the years. Some simple insight he had, simple insight that other people didn't have. And um, um, anyway, um, oh shoot, I've lost the train of thought. You got to have an edge. Oh, great. Got to have an edge. Wait, what was this? Uh, if you're going to invest, you got to have an edge. I know, but what was, what was I saying just before that? Ah, oh, it's one of the, okay. Parkour, parkour. Got to. Mm. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about. Buffett. No, no, I don't want to switch. Wait, what? Okay. Is there an, oh, I know. I was talking about Buffett and having an edge. And the edge that that Muhammad Ali had was, I'm not gonna get hit in the face. By the way, that was true. I don't know if you ever heard statements. He meant this literally. And these are his words. He thought he was the prettiest man in the world, not the most handsome. He literally thought he was the prettiest man in the world. And he was terrified that his face would get hit. And um, so his style was like avoiding getting hit in the face. <laughs> Um, and everyone would get tired trying to do it. They couldn't believe. By the way, you also see uh, uh, Muhammad Ali in the ring, and you see him moving his head. It's like Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee was faster. Bruce Lee was from another planet, um, and also a great philosopher. And um, so you need an edge. It'll be a simple edge, and it's, I'm going to talk about Warren Buffett's two rules of investing. And those listeners who are listening right now, no. you may know the two rules. And, and I want, if you don't, I want you to notice your emotional reaction when I articulate them. Remember, Buffett is a genius. I mean, a, a full-on genius, like Thomas Jefferson smart, right? He and Munger. And... Uh, like they hide it real well because they're all folksy and real like charming. They're geniuses. And, um, and he's a good soul. Right? He's given away his entire fortune. Right? And uh, so he's a good man. And his advice for investing, for anyone who wants to become wealthy, he's got two rules. Now, mind you, these are the rules of a genius having thought about investing his entire life is rule number one, don't lose money. 
Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. Now, imagine I told that to the uh, University of Arizona graduating MBA class of, uh, you know, or Columbia or Harvard or Stanford, whatever. MBA students, they hear Mr. Buffett, tell them that's all you need to do to become wealthy as an investor, as an investor. And uh, they go, like, actually right now I'll ask you, Kevin, I mean, you, you know those rules, right? Yep. And when you first heard them and when you think about them now, does it sound incredibly profound? It does. Well, because you've thought about it, but like to most people, when they hear don't lose money. On the surface, it sounds like no duh. Yeah. Right. It sounds like duh. Now, by the way, because mo most people, when they hear those words, they think, okay, I know I'm not supposed to lose money, but how do I make it? And he, and what he hasn't said is, I just told you how to make it. Don't lose it. And they go, okay, thanks so much, Warren. Got it. And they take those rules and they try to apply it within a bunch of other rules. Okay, I'm going to remember that. Everything else I'm going to do as an investor, I'm going to try not to lose money. Because Buffett said, don't do that but you're already violating rule number two. Never forget rule number one. He, he said the way to make money is not to lose it. It is one of the most profound things ever uttered because his insight that he and Munger had was you can't help but make money if you don't lose it in certain domains because human progress being what it is, you're just going along for the ride. And so, so companies must, over time, get better at what they're doing. So as long as you don't lose money, all you have to do is piggyback off of them. Now remember, Buffett has been really clear over the years that you know putting your money with investment advisors is, is a fool's, the number of investment geniuses in the world that have actually outperformed the market for an extended period of time, maybe 15 guys ever, right? Buffett, Soros, Dalio, although he stumbled, um, Paul Singer, Steve Cohen, you know, you get a few guys that are actual geniuses at what they do and everyone else underperforms the market. And that every year, I don't know how many people, some huge number of people uh, during COVID have decided to try their hand at stock trading. Really, it's like saying, okay, I'm gonna take my money and go to a, a mixed martial art, you know, thing and, and bet on that with me in the ring. So you got to have an edge, got to be something simple. <laughs> and unless you know, again, unless you know that you're not the patsy, you got to have real reason to believe why you're going to succeed in a domain where professionals have been at it for decades. And you're just walking on, you know, walking into the 
into the ring against McGregor, good luck. You're going to get crushed and you're going to lose your money. And by the time, this is the thing about investing, you know, someone asked me about the difference between Fisher and in chess and, uh, and uh, Buffett in investing. Actually, um, I know who it was. It was uh, 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 Lila Fear, and she's um, uh, a world-class uh, skater. And she's the daughter of a friend of mine uh, in, in the finance world and um, like one of the top skaters in the world. And she has a little podcast, and she, we were talking about this, and she said, Adam, but Fisher always played to win, and he was willing to lose. And Buffett said, never lose. We're going to talk about that in a sec, because I know what you're going to ask. <laughs> uh, we talked about it a little before, right? We started. Um, and I said, the difference is, I actually had that. She stopped me for a second. I thought, oh, wow. Lila, I got to think about that one. I thought, oh, yeah, I know what the difference is. If Fisher loses a game, so Fisher would play to win no matter what. And he would risk losing because he wanted to win so bad. Buffett wouldn't. And here's the difference. And I really had to, she stopped me for, I don't know, a good 30 seconds. And I, I went, oh yeah, that's right. If Fisher loses a chess game tomorrow, he's in the same position, right? He lost a game. His ability to play the game of chess has not changed whatsoever. In fact, he may even be smarter for the loss. It's learned a bit, right? If you lose money as an investor, you now have less cap, you're smarter, but you're moving forward with less capital. The trouble is that <laughs> the education of an investor, you can lose all your capital. So by the time, after five or 10 years, you know, for people who invest in the stock market and day trade, especially in things like futures or currencies or Bitcoin, whatever, you can lose all your money in an afternoon, literally. In fact, you can lose more than that. If you're leveraged, you hit, get hit with margin calls, boom, you owe 200%. And uh, in the space of minutes in this, in, with currencies, really, you can lose 100% of your money in a couple minutes, boom. And um, so the that's the huge difference, it, that the mistakes of an investor you pay for and you're now moving forward with less capital. And that's why Buffett said, that's why Buffett deduced, don't lose money. Because the sheer compounding, the opportunity cost of moving back, of losing some money, you've set yourself back doubly because you could have been compounding. Yeah. And, and, and then of course, he, by the way, you know, people here, again, to go back to his rule, never lose money. That forces you to do a lot of other things. For example, they've never used leverage. Everybody uses leverage. They never did. Why? Because it, it increases the chances that you're going to lose money. Now, by the way, of course, everybody uses leverage. But just because 
Munger and Buffett are purists. They didn't. And Munger estimated what they would be worth if they had used reasonable leverage over the years. In other words, the kind of leverage a typical firm uses. And he said, uh, he, back of the envelope calculation, they, he estimated that, um, that they would be worth five times as much. Buffett would be worth 500 billion if they'd used simple leverage. But they stayed pure to their principles. Yeah. You know, Buffett, from time to time, he underperforms. We go, oh, yeah, he's losing his touch. No, he's sticking to what he knows. And over the long haul, it's a tortoise versus a hare. And, and the discipline of staying true to what you know. And um, so, yeah, we talked about edge. It's got to be simple that the opportunities are often not where you think, right? People are looking at the farmland and go, oh, but the opportunities was in the, were in the city and all the other opportunities. And I, um, I know we had talked about investing in, in stocks and we're, again, we're in a low to no growth world. And for, it'll take a while for that to settle in, like into people's consciousness. And because we're so used to thinking that the world that is growing. Like when I tell people more people died in the United States last year than were born, they go, what? Really? They, really? And, and, and I said, yeah, in Europe too. They, the world is, is often very different from what people think. And, and they, because they think they know what the world is, it never occurs to them to check. Bertrand Russell talked about Aristotle. And he's, Bertrand Russell said, Aristotle claimed that women had fewer teeth than men. And, and Bertrand Russell said it never occurred to Aristotle, right, one of the greatest philosophers ever, to ask his wife to open her mouth and check that out. Because he just knew men had more teeth. He didn't bother to check it out. And, and people think they understand. I, I'm saying this to your listeners. I'm saying it to you, Kevin. And I, I remind myself of it all the time. We think we know what's going on in the world about many key respects. And because we think we know that, it doesn't occur to us to check. I'm going to give you an example. So... Uh, in the summer of 2017, a number of my clients, and these are the top guys in the, in the hedge fund world, independently, several of them had said, hey, Adam, why is the euro dollar keep going higher? Right? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I said, I know what I'm doing. Buy the euro dollar. But they said, why does it go? And th the fact that they didn't get it so intrigued me, I have a hypothesis. This is going to blow you away. So, because uh, it applies also like to real estate investing. So, I, I, to each one of them, I, uh, like independently, because they, you know, separate guys, separate uh, uh, hedge funds, 
and uh, that they were running, they, um, I said, okay, let me ask you a question. This is mid 2017, right? First six months of the Trump presidency. Stock market was melting up like it had never done before. And um, anyway, they were puzzled. Why is the euro dollar keep going higher? And I said, oh, wait a second. I said, I said, I have a pop quiz for you. And uh, like, imagine like I pop, gave a pop quiz to Buffett about something, you know, like that, these are the, those kind of guys, right? By the way, Buffett's just a friend, not just a friend. And uh, so I said, are US interest rates, 10 year yields, higher or lower year to date? And each one of them, almost in exasperation went like, duh, higher. Like, they, 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 they know me too well to roll their eyes with me. But basically going, Adam, why are you even asking that? <clears throat> and I said, okay, okay. Uh, second question, are European yields, Bund yields, German yields, 10-year yields, are they higher or lower year to date? Again, they were like annoyed, each one of them. Those are lower. I said, okay, let's go over to your Bloomberg and check that out. So we went over to the terminal, you know, each one of them fired up their Bloomberg and, uh, and I said, okay, let's pull up U.S. 10-year yields. And each one of them had the same reaction because they looked at the screen and they went, well, Adam, I'll be damned, U.S. interest rates are lower. I said, yeah, they're lower. Remember, you thought, you knew that they were higher. You wondered why I asked the question. By the way, for those of listeners who don't, that's like a meteorologist. Is it looking out the window? Is it raining or not? <laughs> like you got to know interest rates. Like that's a basic fundamental. You got real estate, stock market. You got to know that. It's like, it's like a doctor checking up, right? When you come and they check your pulse, the blood pressure, they look in your ear and they, they sometimes they, they list right the stethoscope and they tap your knee. It's kind of basic. And depending on those five things, if something's wrong, they know to like, oh, got to dig deeper there. Um, and so it's a really basic thing. And I said, okay. And each one of them was kind of perplexed. And they went, oh, that's so odd. Could have sworn they were higher. I said, yeah, I know. They were the opposite of what you thought. Okay, let's look at bund yields. Question number two. I said, now, before we look at the bund yields, are bund yields higher or lower? They said, each one of them, well, those are definitely lower. Like I, like, just like I said, they're lower. You got me on the U.S. yields. Okay, you got me there. And then go to the bund screen, bund 10-year yields, and those are higher year to date. And each one look at screen going, like they didn't say what the WTF, but I said, yeah. The reason they were perplexed by why the euro dollar was going higher, currency between, between the US and the Eurozone, is because the interest rates were exactly the opposite of what they thought they were but they didn't bother to check. Didn't occur to them to check. 
because they knew U.S. interest rates were higher. They knew it, but they were lower. And, and uh, now here's an interesting question for you, Kevin. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, I'm gonna, this is a little thought experiment for you. Okay. Let's say that you had been one of my clients. And you would just experience that. You run a $10 billion hedge fund. And, and, and you just saw, you thought U.S. 10-year yields were higher. Sorry, you thought they were lower. Sorry, higher year-to-date, and they were lower. The exact opposite of what you were sure of. And bond yields, the Eurozone yields, you knew that those were lower, but they were higher. The state of the world was exactly the opposite in a very basic respect of what you thought. I want you to imagine that that had just happened. What would you have said to me at that moment? And by the way, I want the listeners, as you, you know, you're listening to this, think about that. What would you have told me or asked me? Really, I'm asking you right now. How, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is how could I not know that? How could I not be aware? Okay, so what would you have said to me? What's the core, what is the correlation there with the euro? Oh, no, no, that's obvious. In other words, when, uh, I, I mean, they knew that once they knew that the interest okay, rates. Okay, they knew that. The fact that the interest rates were the opposite of what they thought explained why the, the, okay. the, the, the euro dollar was doing the opposite of what they thought it should do. Remember, they were looking at it going, oh, that doesn't make sense. But they didn't bother to probe it. I'm thinking like, where else am I, where else do I have the backwards or flip? Bravo. Yes. That's, that's actually, like if that had happened to me, and by the way, I do this every day. I look at hundreds of markets. I cover all global markets, all US sectors, all currencies and commodities and bonds. And I'm always forming hypotheses and then checking it out, like randomly. Like I just go, huh, wonder how copper's doing relative to gold right now. Then I'll just check it out. And I'll, I'll have a hypothesis and I'll look for things that surprise me. At the, the anomalies, I'll go, oh. Like every week I'll find another anomaly. I go, oh. And then I have to explain that anomaly. I have to, I have to then start digging and look for confirmation elsewhere. Just like a doctor, you know, if it, that little rubber mallet taps your knee and it, nothing happens, he's gonna go, oh, I gotta find out what's wrong with your reflexes here. Maybe there's a neurological issue. Anyway, once you discover that something that you thought about the world was wrong, in fact, not just wrong, you were 180 degrees. 180, yeah. Um, you got to think, oh my God, what else don't I know about the world? I Really, each one of them, I could have won a lot of money. <laughs> um, I could have I made like little wagers with them. I said, okay, let's bet. And um, so, because it was the opposite. And that's true for each of us. Kevin, you in, your, in, your, in, in, in the real estate world and 
and, and, and me and mine, and it, it comes back to stupidity, right? In a very complex stupidity, the entire world is in the stupid zone. And stupidity is the cost of intelligence operating in a complex environment, which is what we got when, and certain other factors going on, right? The seven factors, you, by the way, you don't need all seven factors. You know, the basic, the, the, the three biggies are you're in a rush or having a sense of urgency. Um, um, you're um, physically or emotionally a little stretched and uh, you're outside your normal environment. Like when you travel from say Phoenix to Scottsdale, you're outside your normal environment. And um, by the way, the, the entire world, we're outside our normal environment, right? Yeah. So, so we know with stupidity that we're in the stupid zone and we will be blind to crucial information. And we won't realize that we're blind. It won't even occur to us to check certain things. And so what I do every day as a matter of practice is I cycle through hundreds of charts looking for anomalies. And I'll, some I'll just, I'll even come up with a hypothesis and I'll go, ah, I'll bet you that German equities are underperforming Swiss equities. I just come up with a hypothesis. No, no, check it out. And if I'm wrong, I go, oh, now, in other words, I'm looking for a surprise, right? I'm looking for things that don't make sense, where my, my reasoning led me astray. It, and, yeah. It's like the opposite. You're like doing the opposite of confirmation bias. Like you're looking... Exactly you're to, right. You're looking to be wrong. It's almost like saying, hey, I'm, I'm purposely looking for the air here. Thank you for bringing that up because that's one of my genius questions. Uh, uh, which is, um, what would you need to see? This is, some, this is a question that every investor should ask himself or herself. And whether you either ask yourself or, or experts, what would you need to see uh, that would uh, that tell you you were wrong? By the way, any number of, like when central bankers get grilled by Congress, I wish they'd let me in there. They go, we're gonna lower interest rates, blah, 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 blah. And I, my, I would shoot up my hand, you know, yes. The right honorable Adam Robinson. <laughs> um, 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 Mr. Fed Chairman, um, what would you need to see to tell you that your policy was wrong? They wouldn't know how to answer that question. They don't. And we as in, because they don't have to live with the consequences. And um, look, I'm, look, they want to do the best they can. I'm not, but they don't, they don't, if they make a mistake, they don't have to deal with it. They have no skin in the game. And um, right now, fooled by randomness guy. Uh, shoot, name escapes me. Um, uh, you know, anti-fragile. Uh, what's his name? Fooled by randomness, anti-fragile. Oh, I see his face. Just, anyway, he writes about that. Not Experts not having skin in the game. And 
And so when I advise my clients, if I say U.S. 10-year yields are headed lower, I will say we will know I am wrong if we see one of the three things following the three things happen. Banking stocks outperforming utilities by at least 2% in any given day. Or we see gold drop. And I always give specific prices. So you're right, it's anti-confirmation bias. And, and that's true, we, we have to have that discipline. When, when someone, say, invests, let's say someone's a listener is, is a day trader, or is just investing in the stock market, and goes, I'm gonna buy Tesla. Okay, great. What would you need to see to know that you should short Tesla stock? And if you can't answer that question, you're in trouble. If you don't know why you're, when you're wrong, you certainly don't know when you're right. You gotta know that going in. And if somebody says, oh, you know, comes up and goes, hey, Kev, there's this uh, a residential um, complex in, uh, in Scottsdale. Thinking about investing in it. And I, I think it's a pretty good deal. Look at the spreadsheet. Then the question for that you would, should ask him is, okay, what would you need to see to tell me that you were wrong? We should sell the property as opposed to buy it. And, and it's, it, right, it, you've got to fight confirmation bias all the time. And um, in, again, we're in a world which is, you said red teaming, right? That's red teaming, right? Yep. But you got to do it internally. And um, for, most of us don't have a team of people who can play devil's advocate with us. And it's got to be something very specific. What exactly, what precisely would you need to see? I remember an investor talking to me about wanting to go long energy stocks. And I said, okay, by the way, I was advising to short them. But I said, what would you need to see that would tell you your analysis was wrong? He said, well, if they, if they, if they fell by more than 20%. I said, what? Really? You would need a 20% drop <laughs> to tell you that your investment was wrong? You would get, in, by the way, with my clients, I, my stop losses are like at 1% or less, like really very close. And um, if, it, if you would need a 20% loss to tell you you were wrong, then that's an investment I would pass on, right? Because I don't want to risk losing 20% on an investment. Remember Buffett's rule, don't lose money. Don't lose money. And, um, and obviously when you invest, you put money at risk. So you had asked me earlier, uh, before we got on, the, about, um, about you know, Buffett selling some, some investments at a loss. And he and Charlie Munger have always, um, one of their core principles is, um, one of their tenets is that our reasoning is fallible. We make mistakes. They, that's why they invest the way they do because they know in a complex world, you got to keep things simple. 
And um, it occurs to me, I want to make another point about that, about simplicity and having an edge in the world. And, um, but they sold them at a loss. They admitted their mistakes. By the way, it's often hard for people to admit, like, you know, you know that uh, sunk cost fallacy, right? We get attached to a losing investment, right? And um, that's real easy to do emotionally. Like, we think we're not going to do it, but we do. <laughs> we stay with a losing investment way too long. And um, one way to, to get out of that is to think of the opportunity cost. Because while you got your money tied up in that losing investment, can't win. You can't win. You could have, yeah, I know you, that, that stock may turn around, but meanwhile, the stock market is up 15% in the last two weeks. <laughs> so you've been losing money on that stock. You could have been up 15, the opportunity cost. Focus on the opportunity cost. Buffett and, and Munger said something that was really important. And I know we're kind of wrapping this up and I, about, um, Munger once said that, that they had never made a decision based on a spreadsheet. You know, these kids all go to, like I went to Wharton and, uh, you know, everyone goes to get an MBA or whatever and prides themselves on, you know, knowing how to do net present value calculations and yada, yada. Buffett and Munger have never used them. So, you know, whenever they give a talk, you know, get some MBA, you know, well, what about the internal rate of return? And Munger and Buffett kind of look at each other and go, oh, basically like, what's that? Now, they know what it is, right? Of course they know. But their point is this, that if you need a spreadsheet to tell you to, that the investment is worth doing, it's not a huge enough edge. It's too risky. It's too risky. If it hinges on an investment, like a, like a, like a, you know, a cell calculation, you know, and embedded assumptions, and I don't care what kind of analysis you use, uh, pass on that investment. Investing, it should be so clear that it's a yes, that you don't need to, you know, you don't need to look at the decimal places. It's ridiculous especially in this world right now, you need a, a huge margin of error, right? I mean, if it's not a clear yes, it's a definite no. Like your, friend, your friend Tim, if it's, not a, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a fuck no. Yeah, there's a great, a more, did you ever see the movie Ronin with uh, Robert De Niro and um, I played a CIA operative. And um, he said, any doubt is no doubt. You know, he's talking, like, if you have a doubt about because it, you know, they were. It was a thriller. You know, if you have a doubt about a person, like, are they an ally or a spy? If you have any doubt, there's no doubt. It's not an ally, right? If you have any doubt about an investment, don't make it right now. Do not. Good. Good. That's that's great. Um, I I feel like we can probably do this for four more hours and. Um, probably, I know I wouldn't get tired of it, Adam. I want to, I want to just say something to you because, and for the listeners, I, I, they will have heard this by now because it's going into to the introduction to the show. Um, I just wanted to say thanks for taking the time to do this. This is very much for me. I think probably the like the time when you met and 
had lunch with Bobby Fisher for the first time. Yeah. And, and maybe even, maybe the, even this was, this was the training and the cat skills for me. Um, and so I, I just wanted to tell you how much thank I appreciate you, you doing this. It, it means more to me than you know. Well, thank you, Kevin. I, 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 I've admired, you know, the work that you do and, and your, uh, your podcast and, and spreading um, um, such insights and wisdom as, as you find with, with, your, with your audience. And um, this is such a perilous world. And, 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 uh, and we need to think really clearly about it. And so, uh, so I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to, first to hang with you because <laughs> we've been, we've been uh, you know, dancing around this for what, like a year, two years almost. You know, like, yeah. And I kept saying, okay, not this week. And you just kept persisting. And I, by the way, I'm glad you did. It just didn't get a chance. And now, now we did. So, so glad that we got a chance to do this, especially now in the world. Yeah. What a crazy time for us to finally lock, link up. And I, I, I want to say one, two final things. One is, is, uh, is um, that there are enormous opportunities in the world right now. And I'm going to tell you from my vantage, what I know about the world, this economic collapse is, is real serious. And, and we see it again, bubbling up in other ways, um, like the social unrest. And, and there are other things that are coming. And we're not, there's no getting around it. And so these are really dangerous times and we're all in the stupid zone. So remember, if you're in the stupid zone, just like that, that, the medicine bottle, like the warning label, don't operate heavy machinery or drive don't make investments <laughs> it, like don't especially not when you're rushed and tired and you know keep it real simple and make sure you have an edge and a huge margin of error like if you're not absolutely sure and again that question what would you need to see to tell you you were wrong um, if you can't answer that don't do it. The stakes are too high. And uh, see clearly, because anyone who's providing um, value in the world that's coming, you look at the obvious themes. People are spending less time out of the home and more time in the home. Work through those. You know, we talked about, you know, the loneliness epidemic. Work through what are people going to do? Who's going to benefit from that? So matchmaking sites, uh, pet companies, you know, um, anything for the home, nurturing, wellness, those companies are doing really well. Um, things outside the home are going to struggle, right? And everyone's got to pivot and or reinvent themselves um, like hotels. And I, I talked about the framework of questions and answers. Right. And knowing the questions people are asking. And and that, by the way, the questions that a potential investor, like if, let's say you're starting a business, you're pitching to some investors. What questions are they asking themselves? 
And, and by the way, not necessarily about your business, just what questions they ask themselves about the world. Yeah. And um, for example, I know that many politicians, a question that they're asking themselves is, what can I do that will convince people that I'm taking decisive action? Which is a different question from taking decisive action. <laughs> and again, that's, that's a nonpartisan statement. I'm not, because uh, our, our political leaders and our corporate leaders, everybody, we're in the stupid zone. Which brings me back to the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. And, uh, and know the stakes. I, I'm hugely optimistic if we think clearly. Um, the stakes are really high and we got, we got some tough times ahead of us. I'm so thankful to have had the chance to sit down and talk with him um, for about four hours. So that's why we broke this out into many different episodes. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Join the Kevin and Fred community, part of EXP Realty and partner with us today. You'll get free access to live trainings two or more times a month, live events and in-person masterminds, digital downloads to help you run and scale your business, and much, much more. To learn more and join our community, visit kevinandfred.com slash contact and contact us today. Not ready to join our community? No problem. Continue enjoying all this great content on our podcast for free.